all all day long, so it's probably pretty easy to just let it slip, even when someone isn't intending anything by it. It's probably true. You get that level of followers, you're bound to get a bunch of trash thrown your way all the time. Yep. Hello and welcome to the Feather Podcast, brought to you by the best feather on the web for the feather format, EDH Feather. My name is Joey Feather, and I'm joined today by my Feather co-hosts. Wow. (laughs) I refuse to answer to that. Okay, in all seriousness, welcome to the EDH Retcast, everybody. I'm really excited about the card Feather, and I'm joined today by the delightful Matt Morgan. So Joey, I, I had a joke lined up for you, and now you've just gone and ruined it. I that's I'm quite all right with ruining your joke. I'm just going to float away like that's the end of Force Gump while Robert Zemeckis rolls across the screen like a feather. I absolutely love it. I'm also joined by Dana Roach. I am the uh, the Razia Boros Archangel of this podcast in that I cost 119 mana to cast and I'm not any good. <laughs> And I'm Joey Schultz, and here on the EDH RecCast, we're going to give all that deck building data on EDH Rec just a little more context. Ladies and gents, we have a guest with us on the podcast this week. You may know him from his fantastic articles on Star City Games. It's Benny Smith. Hey there. Thanks for having me on. Welcome, Benny. Yeah, Benny, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. This is, I'm pretty stoked. I listen to you guys all the time, so uh, being, uh, being on, on board is, is pretty cool. That's really awesome. So for some folks who may not be in the know, how about you introduce yourself a little bit and uh, let us know who you are and how you relate to all of this awesome Commander content. Okay. Uh, well, my name is Benny Smith. Uh, I write pretty frequently for StarCityGames.com. Pretty much was one of the first writers for their website back when they first launched a um, hundred years ago or so. And uh, <laughs> anyway... Um, I've always been a big fan of multiplayer magic, but I also was a fan of like standard magic. So I would sort of alternate between writing about standard over the years and then I'd mix in some multiplayer. And then when Commander kind of blew up, kind of started gaining in popularity, uh, I started writing about the format and people responded well. And so I've kind of focused in on mostly writing about Commander these days. Yeah, you've got some really illuminating articles. It was actually uh, Dana and Matt who turned me on to your content on Star City Games, and it's definitely a lot of fun to go through. Oh, cool. Yeah, Dana, Matt, I take it that you've been following Benny's content for quite a while then. Yeah, for a couple of years um, from my end, and I think think it was Jason Alt that kind of steered me his direction. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or on Brainstorm Brewery or something, but Jason was a big fan of Benny's, which then got me looking his direction and... You know, every time an article comes out of Star City Games, it's always a good read. And I, I do think it's really interesting that you can actually say you were the guy who wrote the book on EDH. <laughs> yeah, well, um, in the beginning, there wasn't a whole lot of content uh, about Commander. So I, I uh, tried to write some articles to kind of, you know, explain why you should play the format and, you know, kind of the, the mindset that that makes it a good, fun, enjoyable experience. And uh, I had the the good fortune of actually living in the same state as uh, Sheldon Mennery. So when he was first sort of evangel- evangelizing the format, I got to, you know, hang out with him at tournaments in Virginia and talk about it. So, you know, I kind of heard, heard the word straight from the man and uh, 
I liked what he was what he was uh, talking about. So anyway, I just was writing about it, and um, over the years, people would ask me about some of my older articles, and so at some point, I decided to put it in a book, and it was fun. That's so cool. And I think we were talking about this before the show actually started, but Don Miner, who created EDHREC, he's a pretty, you know, low-key type of dude, but when he heard that you were coming on the show, he got so excited. <laughs> well, that makes me excited because I, I think his site is uh, fantastic. And in the in my real-world job, I, I work uh, as a data analyst, so data is kind of my thing. So Very kindred spirits. That's awesome. Hugs back at him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so also to maybe help get to know you a little better, Benny, what type of decks do you usually play in Commander? I like games that everybody can play magic, you know, like I'm not a big uh, fan of, you know, shutting people down from playing their games or, you know, doing a quick combo kill. Like I, I want everybody to kind of sit down and play some magic and hopefully have some fun. Everybody gets to play some cards and, you know, whoever wins or loses, like, you know, I want everybody to kind of leave with a smile. That's that's basically the kind of thing. So I guess you're actually the opposite of Don Miner then, because he only plays stacks. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so any specific commanders that are your personal favorites? Well, um, I have quite a few different decks because um, I like to go to big events and play with different people. So, you know, I like to keep things, you know, have a variety of different things to play and um, hopefully be able to kind of match up with the play style of whoever's playing with. But I guess my old favorite at this point is is Felden of the Third Path. I really like that deck, and I've had it for quite a while. It actually occurred to me, uh, because I'm a, I'm fairly well known as, as being a fan of Golgari, and, yes. and uh, it occurred to me Felden is basically a mono-red Golgari deck. I was just about to say that. I'm the resident necromancer on the podcast, so when you said Felden, I'm like, really? Reviving things from graveyards? Go don't, don't on. encourage right. him. Joey needs no more help. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of my old favorite, but my new favorite has got to be my uh, mono green Grothoma deck. That deck is just so much fun, and it, it makes people confused because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's such a weird card. Well, you have to really think with with that commander too. Like, yeah, you want to draw all the cards in the world when you kill it, but you also more often than not are going to have to lose a handful of creatures to do so. Right. And then, oh, that's a cool deck. And then you know maybe the Grothoma player has a way of saving his Grothoma from dying, and then you've lost a bunch of creatures. And right. And he cackles maniacally. That's pretty sick. Benny, you mentioned that you go to a lot of events. Are there any events upcoming in the near future that you'll be attending? Um, there is a Star City Open in Richmond uh, in a couple of weeks that I'm going to try to stop in and, and see if I can pick up some games of Commander there. Um, and then there's the uh, SCG Con in June in Roanoke, which I'll be there. Um, actually, I'll be one of the featured guests there in their command zone. I don't know if you yeah. I don't know if you've seen the guest lineup, but it's pretty it, cool. It is pretty stacked, be a lot of cool yes. people playing there. Yeah, that was kind of I, I'd already done all my trip planning for the year when that schedule came out, and I was like, oh come on, I don't know if I can't squeeze one more air flight into. I can't justify that in my budget. Like, sorry, honey, I need to spend a couple hundred bucks on a plane ticket to go to another event. Yeah. 
That's really cool, though. I totally love it. Uh, I do want to mention, so we've got a bunch of stuff here that we want to get to on the show today, but I am clearly, as you may have been able to tell from the intro, bursting at the seams to talk about War of the Spark. At the time of recording, obviously the entire set has not been spoiled, so we don't know everything that's out just yet, but I think it would be really cool to talk about at least one card from the set each that, you know, is really personally exciting, a stuff that we're looking forward to. And I'm going to try and restrain, restrain myself to only talk about one card because, man, this set looks so darn cool. But I still wanted to make sure that we had that opportunity. And then hopefully in a future show, we'll be able to do a proper set review. Um, but I'm going to pass it over to you guys, Matt, Dana, Benny. What's a card from War of the Spark that you're really excited for so far? Well, I can go first here. Um, first of all, the, the set as a whole, I'm you, you, you nailed it, Joey. It's we're like not even halfway through, I don't think, the spoiler season, and it's already absurd. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think anything would be able to surpass my hype for Dominaria last year, and this did it. I, I didn't think, going in, I didn't think it was going to do it. Uh, I just, I, not that I wasn't looking forward to it, but I'm like, there's, it's going to be good, but like, there's no way it's better than Dominaria to me. And I'm, man, I'm really, really blown away by the set so far. Um, the one card in particular that really has my attention is the buy a box promo, Tezzeret Master of the Bridge. For me in particular, I've, I've got a, a, a Demir deck led by Veil of the Nightclad that's built around artifact creatures, and it's got the other three playable Tezzerets in it. So there's kind of a Tezzeret sub-theme going on. I mean, adding a fourth one just makes sense in that deck. He fits perfectly in a deck because of his passive ability where creatures and planeswalker spells you cast have affinity for artifacts. It's There's like 60 artifacts in a deck, so basically I play Tezzeret, I can just empty my hand with all these janky artifact creatures that have Intimidate from Vela. It's our perfect fit for the deck. It's a cool card. It brings back an old keyword that we haven't seen in a long time. He's got good abilities. I like Tezzeret as a character. It's everything I want in one card. I'm really excited for it. That's really legit. Yeah, that guy does look really, really cool. Matt, what about you? What's a card from War of the Spark that's exciting you? I mean, I'm surprised Dana isn't excited about a Sphinx that doesn't cost 12 mana that he can put in his decks, but, you know. Or or a Death Touch Tribal Planeswalker. It was tough that to is pick. True. That is true. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. I mean, I so go figure. They have a legendary hound creature, and I'm excited about it. Uh, but uh mo moo however you want to pronounce his name uh little Mau? companion yeah mawu him Mau? the good boy the best Cujo. boy Cujo. Cujo. oh no no no, no that's that's Aww. not a good boy uh lassie uh, there we go steroids. <laughs> lassie did some push-ups and drank some protein and got hella buff but uh yeah any i mean any of these legendary hound creatures uh, i really wanted to like tolsamir uh but he only triggers when wolves enter the battlefield, not when all hounds or dogs or puppers or, you know, any of that enters the battlefield. So I got to go with Mawu. I mean, just legendary dogs. Why not? I, so, I probably will have to build another Slesnia deck for good boy tribal. So Mawu is the one that whenever you put counters on him, he gets additional counters. Is that right? Yeah. So he's a 3-3 with uh, Trample and Vigilance for four mana. Uh, if one or more plus one plus one counters be put on Mawu, you may put that many plus one on it instead. And I know for sure he's going to go into my uh, Moldrotha deck for sure. Like I'll just get a copy and fits in perfectly. Plus one, plus one counters be great. Yeah, that's really, really cool. I, yeah, there's so much to look forward to. 
to in this set, but I have to give my personal shout out to Feather the Redeemed. It was just spoiled today at time of recording. It was just spoiled today by the Command Zone podcast, and I'm so excited. Guys, I have been waiting for like 15 years for this character to get a card. Feather the Redeemed, one white white for a 3-4 with flying. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets a creature you control, exile that card instead of putting it into your graveyard as it resolves. If you do, you return that card to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. She is so good. I This commander opens up so many avenues. And since we're probably going to review her more specifically on a future show, I don't want to get too into the strategy right now. But I do. I, oh man, I just have to. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. And it, it is a card that you, on our, you know, a couple episodes ago, you talked about being on your wish list for 2019 even. So nice job. You You got what you wanted. Now it's time for us to you know, ransack wizards and get what we want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, suffice it to say, a lot of people are excited about a low-cost flying commander with aggressive stats who enables a spellslinger archetype in these colors and who is powerful even on a super tight budget and who gives life to combat tricks, a hitherto unplayable spell type in EDH. I mean, maybe you want to go crazy with constant combat tricks or maybe you want to use tiny spells that each say, like, ooh, target creature gains first strike, draw a card, and then she'll return them to your hand and then you get tons of extra cards every turn. I don't know, but the point is that there's diversity, there's flexibility, there's epic Raymond Swanland art i mean just everything about this is pitch perfect it's just so cool and what i especially love isn't just that she's a lore character i've been waiting for like 15 years to finally see in print i love that she also reminds us to think about card advantage in different terms it's not just about drawing cards it's also about resiliency like if your stuff is indestructible and you cast a board wipe technically that's card advantage because you've got more game pieces or if you make like 10 tokens that's also card advantage because you have more game pieces but if you cast spells and you don't lose the number of cards in your hand you're up on card advantage and feather does exactly that just oh man I'm a Sultai man through and through, but holy crap, I am so in love with Feather. That should say something. I am, ah, that's, I can't, okay, I need to stop gushing about this. Benny, but, what's a card that you're looking forward to from War <laughs> of the Spark? Because I could turn this into the actual Feather podcast like well, I threatened to do. With Fe- the Feather is Joey's Anna Kendrick because she is I'm, perfect, <laughs> like, like you said. I'm just trying to figure out how he could have been a fan of this 15 years ago when he was a zygote 15 years ago. Hey. <laughs> well, I do agree. Feathers seems really cool. Like it really is a neat kind of build around, get your get your thoughts going in, in all kinds of cool new directions with it. I, I really, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what people do with it. But uh, the card that, that kind of, that kind of caught my eye uh, I'm a big fan of of spell lands that do cool things, and and the card that kind of jumped out at me was Emergent Zone. So Emergent Zone taps for colorless mana, and you can also tap it for one and sacrifice it, and then it lets you cast spells this turn as though they had flash. So I'm a, I'm not the biggest fan of Vidalcan Orrery. I it, in fact it will probably summon an eye roll for me every time someone plays it because, you know, at that point you're just sort of playing, you know, magic in a way that, you know, doesn't result, doesn't really need a whole lot of thought. You know, you just play the spells, all your spells at optimal speed. But this card, I think, is kind of cool because it lets any deck kind of choose to jump in the fray at any moment. You know, like when there's something going on and some crazy spells are getting thrown around and if you have this out there you can crack it and jump in the middle of middle of the stack you know what i mean like i I just think it's going to lead to some really fun plays and some interesting um situations that 
you know, most decks wouldn't really have the opportunity to do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I, I feel like this card is going to, is going to make some stories that people are going to talk about. You know what I mean? And I like what you mentioned there about there being like a dynamic with the choices involved. It's like you're threatening for Flash, but you're not sure whether they will. And like that adds an interesting layer into the gameplay too. Yeah. 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 There's a cost associated with it, which is you, you um, lose the land. So it's a one and one and done situation, but the person's never sure if you're willing to pull the trigger now. It requires choices on your part. It requires anticipation on your opponent's part. It just leads to interesting gameplay. And, and I'm always looking for utility lands to add to decks so I can remove even more basic lands just to get Matt to chastise me. Right. That's always yeah. nice. Yeah, that, that's an easy way to do it. <laughs> I have that problem, too. I, I tend to put in quite a few colorless lands into my, into my decks, and sometimes I, I regret that decision. But This is my mono black deck, and I have two swamps. <laughs> right. How come I can't find a swamp off this off this... Fetch land. I know I have at least two in here. <laughs> right. Cool. All right. We've got a couple of other things that we want to run through really quick, too, including a new announcement regarding Architect. Dana, do you want to take this one away? Yes, I certainly can. Architect, and I'll, I'll just read briefly the, um, the official announcement. If you are an EDH rec user, you may have noticed that Architect has been a data source for a little while now. The recommendations on EDH rec are already part of Architect data, and... As of today, which was uh, the 8th of April, they're officially integrated with EDH Rec. So you're going to see um, more and more options to click on individual cards and add them as add them to your deck or look at recommendations straight from EDH Rec if you're in the Architect deck builder. It's basically tying that into the site almost like it's part of EDH Rec in a way. Yeah, this is such a cool announcement. And I've... Ever since, Dana, you mentioned that you were using Architect now, I just tried it once and I was instantly in love. I really, this probably sounds like I'm being a sellout or something, but like, no, honestly, I just think that Architect has such an awesome and very user-friendly interface for putting your cards into a deck list online. And I love that they're now going to be using EDHREC suggestions to assist that and make the building process even easier to do. I just think that's so cool. Yeah, like, I mean, I've been using it for a while, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, I write for EDHREC, and they're someone that we are now working with as a business. I've been using the website as my exclusive deck builder for like probably three months now because it does all the things I want that none of the other deck builder sites all do at the same time. It lets me goldfish out hands, which is something I like to do, and I find it to be really, really useful is, is actually able to deal out seven cards and put them onto a battlefield and draw the next one and make decisions and just kind of get a rough feel for how the first few turns of a deck plays out. That's a big deal to me, and it lets me do that, and that's not something that you find on many other websites. It lets me designate the actual specific version of a card in a deck, and I'm somebody who has a couple foil decks that I'm working on, so being able to specify that this deck has this particular version of a card and, and it is, in fact, a foil is important to me and my deck builder. So there's things like that. It's got really good stats, has a pretty easy-to-use interface, and the fact that it's now going to be meshed in with EDH Rec makes it even better. So, no, I, I'm 100% not a fan of the site just because of the integration. I've been using it for a while, and it's the real deal. I'm glad to see that. I'm glad that it's now part of EDH Rec because it's even more useful to me than it already was. 
Yeah, it's super cool. There are a lot of features, and I also just like the way that it lays out the cards in front of you, to be perfectly honest. Again, I realize I'm sounding like a commercial as I'm talking right, about Right, yeah, this. me too. But, like, that's just, it's it's true. This is how I actually want to talk about it, because I'm just so impressed with how straightforward it is to you. So I just think that's really cool. Well, I, uh, I, but we also, I'd like to also, oops. I'm sorry, I'd like to chime in, too, that uh, I uh, use yeah. Architect as well. I think it's a pretty oh, cool, nice. uh, a pretty cool, you know, deck database for for putting your decks and and having links to share with people so yeah i concur it's a great it's a great uh, website and i'm excited that you guys are partnered up with it sweet yeah we have another announcement though a kind of a fun project that don miner threw together on edh rec within this past week matt i'm gonna let you take this one so this one actually is kind of fun because i probably have come under fire in my playgroups for this but for the most part of last week we put up a salt vote. You may have seen it on Twitter, uh, but basically you could go through all the cards in Magic the Gathering and vote on how salty a certain card makes you feel, whether it was stuff like Leovold or Stasis or Brainstorm, because that's a four for me automatically, or even Basic Mountain, because you know Blood Moon's coming. So we had that go through. We had over 500,000 votes. That's half uh, a million people. Half a million votes. Half That's million like votes, more yes. than the, more than the hours that Joey will ever be alive because wow. <laughs> well, I mean seconds is how much you've been alive because that's what two years, three years. Okay, we can Anyways. go past the age jokes and get to the interesting <laughs> data now, Mister. But yeah, so so we had the votes go through, and uh, after we collected quite a bit of votes, quite a bit of that data that we are kind of known for. We have a list of the saltiest cards in EDH. Oh, and this is kind of relevant with having Benny on the show because he's really an advocate for playing fun magic. <laughs> and, and a lot of your, your columns and your tweets stuff kind of revolve around that. And this is, this is not that. This is the other thing. <laughs> I have to say, I, I'm, I think something's wrong with your list here because I don't see Grave Pact on here. See, oh, we'll, we were talking about that earlier. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, this was a really cool project and people could rate, what was the scale? It was from zero it to was four? From, yeah, zero as in no salt accumulated up to four where, oh my gosh, this burns because it's so salty and don't put it on an open wound. Yeah, so zero so, is like pinch of salt and four is like that planet from The Last Jedi. Yes, exactly. But we, so we, we'll just go through a few of the top ones and we'll, we'll pick and choose as we go through. But the, the results are in, so the top five cards, and again, it's out of four. It's Stasis as the saltiest card coming in at 3.1 on the salt scale, tied with Armageddon at 3.1. So those are your one and two. Apparently, people don't like it when you mess with their lands. Oh, weird. I didn't see that coming. I, I always wondered why people hated me, but now this kind of makes sense. <laughs> well, that, that, that and the no deodorant thing. It's like one of those two or oh, a combination. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true, too. Number three, though, Winter Orb coming in at a solid 3.0. Number four, rest in peace, my sweet prince, Leovold, Emissary of Trust, <laughs> 2.9 on the salt scale. And then number five, Iona, Shield of Ameria, also at 2.9. Apparently, if you mess with people's lands and you also make sure they can't cast spells, <laughs> you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> Yeah, people don't seem to like that. Uh, not not at all. And it's so funny that we included even some banned cards on this particular list because it was just kind of fun for academic purposes. And it's great to see Leovold up there. I think that's uh, that's definitely pretty darn accurate. Are, are you guys surprised by the top five of the list? Or um, not, not really? I'm not. Not a bit. That that seems like exactly 
ones I would expect to see at the top of the list. Yeah, I would certainly feel salty if anybody played any of these on me, for sure. Yeah. I think and Benny the- had a stasis story, though, he had mentioned off mic that we aren't sure of what it is, but now I'm really curious to hear the Oh, tale. that's right. Okay, yeah. Um, so uh, in my uh, early days of writing about magic, I, I wrote for Scry Magazine, and I got um, I got to do an interview with Mark Rosewater for Future Sight. I believe it was Future Sight. Oh, that's cool. But they were doing those uh, Magus cycles. And originally the blue Magus was Magus of Stasis. And uh, really? and apparently it didn't play very well. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> so then they, they were like, oh, let's switch it out to Magus of... Uh... I think, was it the jar? Magus of the jar from Time Spiral? Was it Time Spiral? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think there, so. There were a couple of different... No, it was uh, or something with that lock. Wait, no, Magus of the Future Sight. It was like a Magus. Of- oh yeah, from from the actual Future Sight set, Magus of the Future, who is just the Future Sight, but as a creature. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Let's play stuff from the top of your deck. Yeah, there's a whole bunch from there. Magus of the Bazaar, Magus of the Jar, a whole bunch of things like that. I am glad that they did not make a Magus of Stasis. <laughs> right. Because that would be awful. <laughs> but but I do kind of want to see if the art at all paralleled the original Stasis art. It's like just an abstract <laughs> wizard. Right. It makes no sense. Right. <laughs> P- Picasso's wizard. Right, exactly. Blank canvas with a couple of geometric shapes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure if that had gone and then, and further, the, the, the art director would have had a good time with that. So a lot of the cards that we're seeing here seem to match expectations, but the list is pretty darn long. We've got a lot of other things on this particular list, like Expropriate and Vornclex, Time Stretch, Cyclonic Rift comes on this list at a 2.7. Then you've also got things like Static Orb and Devastation. We're seeing quite a commonality here, and it does all, like Matt mentioned, tend to center around the ability to cast your spells. Or in the case of the extra turn spells, just like other people are sitting at the table waiting and not being able to do anything. So, I mean, I think we're definitely able to see quite a common thread among all of the salty cards. People want to be able to do stuff when they're playing Commander. And a lot of the salty cards are exactly the cards that prevent us from being able to do it. Yeah, that's pretty much what the list is. I mean, I I do think salt is exactly the way to describe it. It's cards that just kind of annoy people. Because some of these aren't, aren't even necessarily that powerful, but they're annoying. Are there any that you take off of the list then? Oh, I would take man. off Tabernacle of Pendril Veil because I'm pretty sure of no everybody, pl- that no vo- yeah, vo- yeah. everybody that voted for it, nobody's actually played against it. So, I think that's another banned card, isn't it? No, no it, it, is not. it is legal. It's legal. It's just a $1,200 land that doesn't make mana. Oh, so it's effectively a banned card because of our wallets. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. Roughly. Yeah, I mean, I none of them really jump out at me as being things that... Like, a few of them I get why they're on here, but I don't think they're necessarily... Like, you know, okay, Seedborn Muse is really, really strong, or, you know, so are the, the Eldrazi Titans, but, like, uh, it's not, I don't get mad when I see any of those. I think there are a few that kind of surprise me. So, for example, the card Mindslaver that's sitting at a 2.5 on the list, uh, 2.5 out of 4. I personally would put Mindslaver a lot higher, actually, because there's nothing that I find more frustrating than literally not being able to play my deck. And when someone Mindslavers me, especially if they're playing Duretti and repeatedly doing that, oh, man, I'm just like, I'm here to play magic. I'm not here to watch you play my magic. And so that's that's a card that definitely gets under my skin. Yeah, I, I would agree with that one. The, the ones that I'm almost surprised, like things like Upheaval aren't a little bit higher. That thing just grinds games to a halt, and it's, there's really no way around it aside from 
maybe you get lucky and happen to have a counter spell in hand. Whereas, like, I get how Winter Orb's annoying, but it's also something you can deal with. Even stasis to a degree, for the most part, you can respond. You probably, maybe you don't have any mana free, but like, hopefully, you'll untap one and then play a land, you know, or, or excuse me, play a land and maybe have a rock free and you can disenchant it. Whereas upheaval, just, just the game is set back 15 minutes. So that one I thought would be higher. And things like bribery, I'm like, I, that, I don't get why that makes anyone mad, but mm. to each his own. A card that surprises me on this list, it's coming in at 2.3, is Triumph of the Hordes. I guess maybe I shouldn't be too surprised. That's the green sorcery that gives all of your creatures plus one, plus one trample and infect. But I got to be honest, I don't think that Triumph of the Hordes is necessarily more powerful than even, say, a, like an overwhelming stampede. I mean, they both are a sorcery that makes the creatures kill you. See, I think I was I was about to say there looks like there's a theme. A lot of what you see on this list, it's either mass land destruction or it's cards that almost win by themselves. Triumph of the Hordes is definitely one of those cards. I would also say Blightsteel Colossus. It's so hard to interact with Blightsteel. So a lot of times it's just going to win you the game. Expropriate is definitely a, an example of if this resolves, that player more than likely is going to win the game just because of that card. So I, I get it. People don't like it when just one card takes over like a tooth and nail can because more than likely somebody's just going to go get the same two card combo and win the game from there. So hmm. it makes sense. I don't know. I'm not too miffed by like, so I understand extra turn spells, especially expropriate because then everyone else is just kind of sitting there doing nothing. But I, I like I can totally see. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've been in games where people played an expropriate, but they weren't able to actually do anything with the extra turn or maybe extra turns that they got because it is dependent on their board state. And that's also true of Triumph of the Hordes. Like you have to have creatures for that to work. And if someone else has a fog, like they should, because this is commander, like they should have some type of spike weaver effect or Teferi's protection effect or anything like that, then they'll be able to, you know, still be safe. And so that's kind of what I meant by saying like Triumph of the Hordes is pretty similar to an overwhelming stampede. And Blightsteel Colossus, I mean, everyone's got a swords to plowshares available. So like a lot of these cards, I say a lot of these, a couple of these cards just sort don't strike me as being all too threatening or all that salt inducing. I was a little surprised to see Aura Shards on here at 2.2. I mean, that is an annoying card, but it's not like it's gonna lose you the game yeah. on the spot, right? But it also is one of those ones that I imagine people, somebody sat down and was like, oh, I remember that game against that Gave deck where they put Aura Shards, popped four tokens off it, and destroyed three mana rocks and my one good enchantment. So I think that it, it has the. I see why it's it was an it's annoying in some decks, and if you're playing that same dude who has that gave deck or that, I don't even know what other. I'm not thinking of any big token producers in those cards. Risa Redeem deck or something where they're just pooping out tokens constantly. I get why like that one person or or multiple people probably find that card super annoying, even if it isn't all the time. Yeah, I, I would put Food Chain in that same category. It's just a card that when you read it, you just know it's probably not going to be a good time. You almost know what's going to happen before it even happens. And it's just, I, I would put that in the same category that Benny puts Vidalcan Ori. Like, I'm just going to roll my eyes at you and, you know, hope the game gets over soon. <laughs> wow. Uh, so another pretty interesting thing that Don was able to supply us with for this particular topic about the saltiest cards in EDH was also the cards that people seem to disagree the most about. So he also gave us a list with some really weird, complicated standard deviation stuff that I, as an English major, am just not completely able to comprehend. Uh, but basically, these were the cards that had the most deviance, where people 
were not seeming to agree about whether they found the cards very salty or not. So they got, you know, a bunch of votes, people saying like, oh, this is a four on the scale. This makes me super salty. But then it also got a bunch of people who were saying, ah, this is a zero. I don't mind it that much. And that includes cards like Thieves Auction, Scrambleverse, Epicenter, Possessed Portal, Warp World, cards like that, which I found those to be pretty interesting you get some weird chaotic cards on that particular list people can't seem to to decide about whether or not these chaotic cards are salt inducing yeah some people really love their chaos cards and some people really hate them so that that totally makes sense which side of the camp do you fall on um i tend to fall well it's kind of hard to to say i i'm not the hugest fan of chaos but I do like to kind of see how it goes, you know, like it just can be totally crazy. I, the the chaos that I'm not the biggest fan of are like the ones that take forever to resolve and everyone has to get out their phones and read rules. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it takes like a half hour for everybody to figure out how it's actually going to resolve. But like things that just sort of, you know, like Warp World, I think, is kind of a, a crazy fun card in a way because it's just, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that. But it, it resolves relatively quickly. Well, I will tell you, Joey, I'm somebody who clicked four for both Scrambleverse and Warp, Warp World when I had them come up for me during the voting process. I, I did as well. I, I'm with Benny. If it takes anything, if it takes longer than a turn to resolve a spell, I... Uh, I usually just go sit and take a nap or something. <laughs> well, well like at least with the obliterate that someone casts, assuming they have some way to win with it, I, I I don't love seeing that or love seeing a stasis, but I assume when a stasis comes down, that Teferi player is probably going to win in a, the next three minutes. When the chaos comes down, I have no idea how long I'm going to be sitting there trying to figure out how I can win when I have to play with my shoe on my head or whatever the <laughs> card is requiring me to do. <laughs> And I think it's it's not even like the the first chaos card that bugs me. It's the second and third chaos cards in the same game that just kind of drag it out. And we've talked on the podcast a few times how, you know, we, we kind of value our time. So we want to get as many games in as possible. And so making games intentionally drag on it just for me personally, I'm not terribly interested in that. Yeah, when it goes from Omen Machine into Warp World into Scrambleverse into... No, thank you. Yeah, exactly. I got you there. And it is kind of a, a weirdness about those cards is that like you can get into a state where the only option is to concede because the game mechanics are forcing you to do something, but you can't even like extricate yourself from it. So I can see why people would call it salty, but I can also see... Like, I mean, I really hit my stride in the original Ravnica. That's where I got my love of Feather. And so things like Warp World do have almost like a, a warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feeling for me. So I I am starting to understand that division where people couldn't quite agree on those cards. Well, and I don't even call those salty cards. I call them more sugary cards because that's what I'm going to put in your gas tank after I scoop from the game. <laughs> wow. Dana right. just admitted to crimes of some sort, I'm sure. I'm, I, I'm sure Ken will edit that out, so I'll be fine. I don't want him to at this point. <laughs> Alrighty. So those are definitely really cool, interesting numbers. Listeners, you should totally go look at the final list for the saltiest cards in EDH because I think they're pretty darn interesting. But now we also want to talk a bit more about Benny and your articles because, I mean, hey, that's why you're here. So 
how about you walk us through it? What is the mission of your articles? What's the stuff that you like talking about every week when you're writing for Star City Games? Well, the main thing that I like to do is uh, to cover the new commanders. I tend to get hyped uh, over almost every new legend that comes out, and I have all kinds of ideas, and so I want to sort of write into the hype and get other people excited about these cards and you know get some conversations going. So I, I, I sort of make it my mission to cover at least you know the most exciting of the new legends from every set. You know, and then when there's some downtime, I'll try to, you know, do something a little different. You know, maybe some strategy articles or I've been doing uh, a commander contrast and compare uh, that's been kind of fun lately where I uh, ask somebody in the magic community what their favorite commander is currently. And then I'll build a deck around that commander and then I'll bump it up against their build and kind of talk about how we differ and how we um, how we have the same kind of thing. So that's been kind of fun. That's really neat. And I think Dana mentioned earlier, a big take, a big spin in your articles is always the focus on fun. Definitely a contrast from all the salty cards that we were just talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely... I, I get I get kind of upset when when people like to play the, the cards that shut other people down. I, I think that that's not a healthy approach to... To the social format you know yeah i i definitely agree and that was one one reason your one of your recent articles uh i believe it was why you should play commander like me it was basically here's how i interpret the social contract if you will and why do i make deck building choices the way i do etc and it really resonated with me personally because i i consider myself a fairly spiky player in games but deck building wise in that process i I definitely try to lean more towards that Timmy aspect just to make sure I'm not doing crazy broken things. I might try to play them right in game, but I try to build with fun in mind. Well, and I think even, I mean, you can still couple having fun and winning together too, I guess depends on your mindset. But for me, myself, it's way more satisfying for me to win a game when the other person's gotten a chance to play their deck out than it is to win a game when they haven't. Like, I, I want the person to be at full strength. I want them to do all their thing, all their things. I want the deck to be able to show me the thing it's trying to do. Because number one, that's interesting. And number two, then they've enjoyed themselves. And number three, when I actually win then against the deck that's done that and the person has got to do their thing, that is a much more satisfying victory. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if, if, if everybody's had a shot and you manage to maneuver through you know, the ebb and flow of, of crazy game of Commander, like nothing sweeter than coming out on top at the end, for sure. But it's all, you know, it's all that interaction that's that's so much fun. And, you know, whether you win or lose, um, like for me, the I, I tend to try to redefine what winning is for me. I mean, like winning the game of Magic, that's kind of, you know, and the Magic rules say there's going to be one winner at some point. So the, the game should naturally progress in that direction. But, you know, if you set other things that for you are winning, other than just winning the game, then you're always going to be winning. You know, every time you sit down to play commander, you're going to be winning the game. If you, you know, if it's just having some fun, seeing some cards that you've never seen before, or some kind of card interaction that you had never thought of, you know, all those different things that just kind of make, 
sitting down with people, especially people you may not play with all the time, you know, those surprises are what makes, for me anyway, I think Commander such a great format. Yeah, there, there's a lot of value in a good story from a game. Mm. Like there, there's, there's a lot of games I've lost that I remember specifically things that happened in that game versus there's plenty of games I've forgotten that I've won because nothing crazy or interesting happened. So that's a, a win in a lot of ways, playing a game where you've seen something really funny or weird or crazy or an amazing play. That has a lot of value, and I think people need to learn to maybe appreciate that aspect of, of quote-unquote winning versus actually just coming out on top. Yeah, it kind of... I'm, I'm struggling for a way to exactly put this into words, but really when there's an opportunity for a game night with all of your friends, you could play any game. And if you're going to play one game where one person has just trampled over any, everyone else because they are playing some stacks and no one got to do anything, it kind of begs the question, well, why didn't we play a board game that is specifically designed for everyone to have their shot? And so that's I, I do like that starting not just like you know the fun in the game but starting from like your actual deck and making sure that you're building it like it could be another board game where it's designed for everyone to have their shot and for you to still win despite all those things i'm not sure if i'm doing a great job of articulating that but it is just a good thing to keep in mind we want to play magic and we want to make sure that it's a game experience that is superior to any other game that we could be playing because magic is the best game but that does involve a little bit of you know intention on our part too when we're actually putting the decks together yeah, and I'll put this caveat out there that what's fun isn't the same for everybody. So if your particular playgroup defines fun as playing a really brutal stacks game where no one has room to breathe and the first person that manages to fight through it and get one thing and play can turn the tide and win the game, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing that yeah, type cool of game style that kind of for game. sure. And if everyone's on board with that, I absolutely think that that's fantastic. But I think you're, if you're sitting down with strangers that you don't know that well, the odds that they're all into that versus that they're all into getting to play their deck, I think you're much better erring on the side of assuming they want to play their deck a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, obviously, you can definitely play all kinds of different forms of commander. It's just the, the, the format is, is designed to be very sociable. So I think if you err on the side of just letting everybody play magic, if those are the kind of decks you build at home and then you just take the decks to the game shop or to, you know, a star city open or grand prix or something, then the odds are you're going to still have, people are going to have fun with you playing those kind of decks too. So let me ask you guys this in each of your opinions, what is the deck that you personally have the most fun playing? And I guess also if you are and now imagine that you're your opponents, what do you think they think is your most fun deck to play against? Are those two different decks? Hmm. That is a good question. So for me, just as an example, like I love necromancy. Marin and Mimeoplasm are both some of my absolute favorite things to do because I'll put a bunch of creatures into the graveyard and I'll bring them all back out. But by no means do I think that I'm like, do, do I think that that's the most fun deck for my opponents to play against? It can certainly be very interactive, but when I'm, I don't know, grave-packing them completely out of having any creatures or board state or anything like that, 
that's not necessarily as much fun. Compare that to like my group hug deck where the like I've got a bunch of stories from playing that deck and it is literally designed for everyone to enjoy the game together, for everyone to be able to ramp up and to do what their deck is supposed to do. And then it's also designed to still try and navigate to a win despite letting everyone do their thing. So I just I feel like if I'm imagining my opponent's perspective, they would much prefer to play against something like Kanea Santiro as opposed to something like my Marin. So I do think that there is a difference there. It's just kind of interesting to note. Are there any examples that you guys can think of? A deck that you personally have fun playing, but that you think your opponents have fun playing against as a different deck? So I I also have um in my mind my fun my most fun deck for my opponents is my KNT deck as well yes but i don't really have it built as a group hug deck because i think the commander itself is enough of a group hug so that he just basically his ability helps everybody kind of play their game more you know and and so i can fill the deck with a bunch of cards that i enjoy playing because it's four colors so you know you can cover a lot of ground with that but you know, I think everybody enjoys drawing extra cards, playing extra lands, and it just kind of um, just inherently carries the game forward so that even if somebody's kind of stalling out on, on their land drops or cards or whatever, it kind of helps them along. And so I, I, I generally, whenever I play that deck, it seems like everybody has a pretty good time with it. So that's sort of I think I, I view that as sort of a, a crowd pleaser deck that I also enjoy playing with too. I would probably say that my personal favorite deck currently is Grathoma, mainly just because of its weirdness. I just uh, I love all the weird interactions with that deck, and I actually had a at the uh, SCG Con in December. Um, I had uh, Gavin Verhe play my play the Grathoma deck. Um, in a game and and watched him do some crazy things that I didn't even think about. That's a that's a very smart dude. You you said a word there that I actually also kind of want to highlight. You had mentioned interaction, and I think when I'm sort of you know mentally analyzing my Kaneos and Tiro deck, one of the things that is really really uh, very very dense in that deck is the amount of interaction that i have i've got a bunch of different spells that you know will benefit a creature or that will uh remove a creature or a whole bunch of stuff like that is one of my most interactive decks and i think that is also a really key ingredient to having a really fun experience for everyone at the table because you've got more of the actual dynamicism of a typical one-on-one game when you have more things like removal spells or instant speed interaction and things like that i think that's probably a pretty key piece as well when you're looking for uh, a fun mutually enjoyable play experience for the whole table yeah those interactive spells yeah definitely yeah i I think for me i think that's that's a good point about a deck being fun for you maybe isn't this thing other people would say is the most fun because i i would say the deck i probably tend to enjoy most is my glissa the trader deck Um, yes because it's highly interactive i've got a gazillion things going on I mean, to the point where I, I don't play it after 10 o'clock at night because I can't, I can't manage the triggers. I'm just, my, like, my brain isn't functional enough to keep track of it, though. It's, it's become like a shop rule, like, it's past 10, you can't play that deck. <laughs> but by the same token, there's, there's so much going on, and, you know, it's got all death touch creatures in it, which makes it difficult maybe for other people to swing at me or, or do what they want to do, and can lend itself to being a little bit dirtily because of that you know when i'm okay guys i've got a executioner's capsule out and i can you know blow my mana and wipe the board but it's going to take me 
you know, we need to play through the whole thing. And I've, I've got a Thornbite staff and a Viridian Longbow on Glissa right now, and that's going to chain the board down, but I need to make sure anyone can't respond to it. So, I mean, I, I've, I've had a friend who jokingly said that that gives him PTSD. Wow. Um, and, and so, huh. like, I, I, I totally realize why that might not be the most fun to play against either. So I, I would say of my decks, probably my Reki deck is probably the most fun to play against because the turns are quick. What it's doing is fairly straightforward. I'm not dirting around and taking turns unless maybe I get to that point in the game where it's going to kind of storm off and I'm going to play 14 creatures and then give them all haste and, and kill somebody because of Dragon Throne of Tarkir or something. So I think that one is probably the best because it's it's just a clean deck to play and there's so many wonky, bad green legends in it that I think that's probably generally kind of enjoyable too to constantly see like, what is that garbage card <laughs> you just played from Visions? I don't, the, 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 oh, it's a green legend, man. It's, it draws me a card. That's why I'm playing it. Like, I, so I think that tends to be, people tend to have a good reaction to that too. So I, yeah, I, that's, I hadn't really thought about it before, but those two things aren't always the same. That's a good point. Yeah. Matt, what about you? My favorite to play against, I think people probably say either Omnath because there's a little bit of a group hug to it. There's, you know, collective voyage and those types of cards that, because I want to do more with the lands than everybody else. So everybody, mm. apparently you're not supposed to mess with their lands, but if you give them lands, <laughs> That's it, it, has, it has the inverse effect. But yeah, um, my Miri deck, it's just kind of, it might be a little battle cruisery. Uh, it still can win games, definitely, but for the most part, it kind of does its own thing and um, takes care of a few key threats, but lets people play their game plan out. Um, I'd say either one of those two. Uh, I know it definitely was not my Edgar deck because that was not fun <laughs> to play with or against. So, Well, and that, I guess, begs the question, the opposite question, really. Do you have a sense of what people might think your least fun deck would be? Whew. I know for a little bit there, whenever I pulled Moldroth- Moldrotha out, people kind of rolled their eyes because Moldrotha just has that reputation. Uh, so... <laughs> That's why I I really wanted to change up the theme to it. Still have to show off the fact that I'm smarter than Joey. Hey, because I I, <laughs> I mean I do have a pre-release foil Moldrotha because I am because <laughs> you won that bet. Yes, I know. <laughs> but Moldrotha now is a lot more fun to play against. Um, I think the two that might be the least fun to play against is either Niv Mizzet because that's probably my most tuned and competitive deck. Taysa gets a, a couple side eyes. But I, I have kind of powered down that because I I don't find Dictative Erebos, Grave Pact strategies terribly fun or interactive, especially in Tesa decks. So I don't have those in there. It still can do some grindy things, but it's not near as optimal as as some players would say it should be. So, uh, But yeah, I, I would probably say of my current living decks, Niv-Mizzet is probably the least fun to play against. For me, at present, I wonder if one of my least fun might actually be my Mimeoplasm, because the goal of that deck is to immediately entomb and then reanimate really awesome creatures like Jinkataxius or Vorinclex, which, as we saw, were on the saltiest cards at like 3.1 or 3.3 or something like that. So I think people probably don't like that one very much. You mean you don't like it when my Jinkataxius that I pumped out on turn two makes you discard your hand? 
I'm sorry. But it's one of my absolute most fun to play. And that dichotomy is really interesting. It does require looking through your opponent's eyes to make sure that everyone is having a good time. And, you know, for them to increase their interaction is definitely something cool, too. And that's how you improve as a playgroup. But it's also just a good thing to be conscious of because that's the point of game night is for all of us to have fun. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think that's that's a thing that people maybe don't take into consideration enough when they build a deck is just, is this going to be fun to play against? So then I've got another question for everyone. Have any of us removed cards from our decks or deleted decks entirely from our arsenal for the sake of other people's fun? So I had a um, a Marisol deck when the, was it Commander 2017, I think, that had the... That had the wizards in it. So Marisol, are y'all familiar with that with that card? Yeah, the cage counters. It gets a bunch of activated abilities. Yeah, it's the one where you where you exile like that this bad common from the masks block that I'm never <laughs> that I'm never gonna remember what it does. And then you've got four different things like that that I can't remember what any of them do. And then I'm just like, all right, I don't know what's happening. And then suddenly a combo somewhere. Right, and then and then I just lose. Yeah, so like that was such a fun deck building experience. I mean just doing the research and finding weird old cards that are so horrible and yet when you exile them and Marisol can use the abilities like it just does all kinds of interesting things so i remember being so excited about building this deck and hunting down all the cards and digging through boxes of old cards that i hadn't looked at in ages and you know just the process of building that deck and then when i started playing it it was like either i i drew the the cool cards and marisol started doing its thing and basically shut down everybody else from being able to do anything which made them all miserable, or they would kill Marisol and keep it off the board, and then I had a handful of terrible cards that didn't do anything, and then I was having a terrible time. So I I ended up just dismantling that deck after, like, maybe two nights of playing it because nobody was having, you know, having fun, really. Yeah, I do think that linearity can be a thing that definitely prevents us from having fun. I had a similar experience when I built Yidris Maelstrom Wielder, and that was awesome because I would hit people and then I would cascade and cascade and then maybe I'd get an additional combat step and then I'd double cascade and double cascade and it was super cool. But that deck operated almost exclusively at either zero miles per hour or 100 miles per hour, which meant that either I didn't have my commander doing anything throughout the game and I just kind of sat there or when it did work, I was playing solitaire and everyone else was just watching me. And that wasn't very fun at all. So I ended up dismantling the deck. Yeah, I would say that's, I mean, the the two primary reasons I take a deck apart is because it's not fun for me to play, which is usually because it winds up being too dirtily or doesn't have a way to actually get anything done in the game, or because it's annoying for other people. And I can usually you can usually tell pretty quickly. And I, I mean I've taken apart you know a dozen different decks for those reasons. The most recent was probably um, a Tesa or Scion deck that was an interesting deck, and I enjoyed building it. It was built around creatures that I could recur from the graveyard. So I would, you know, resembling skeleton, for example, or blood gas kind of thing where I could sacrifice a creature and make tokens off both Tesa and there's multiple other variants on Tesa that when a creature dies, you make a 1-1 spirit token of some sort. So that's what it was trying to do, sacrifice creatures that I could recur to sack again to make a, you know, eventually a swarm of tokens. It was basically a token deck. The problem was it was super, super, super dirtily. And while it wasn't oppressive, because I wasn't running Grave Pack kind of effects, 
there was just no situation where for me to get in a position to win with the deck, it didn't involve me taking a 10-minute turn <laughs> of trying to flip things in and out of the graveyard, maximize my mana to get the most of them out. And I mean, maybe I would have Catherine's Crusade out and I could just ask if anyone had a response and we could assume I was going to win. But very frequently that wasn't the case and I had to just see if I could make 35 tokens. And yeah, it, it, so it wasn't a good time for anybody to sit there and watch me do that. And it wasn't a good time for me to do all of that. So that was the most recent one, but I've had uh, plenty of decks that I've taken apart for similar reasons where I, I just knew nobody was going to want to play against it, not even because it was oppressive, just because it was boring. Yeah, I gotcha. So, okay, we talked a bit this episode about like salty cards and now also paying attention to other people's, you know, their fun levels and things that we do to make sure that everyone's having fun. But I don't want to just talk about salt. I also, I mean, Dana, you'd mentioned sugar earlier too. So <laughs> I've got one last question for you guys. Like, what would you put if we were making a sugar list? Like, what's number one for you? Like, your favorite card to play? I need to think. Well, I need to think here. Like, like, that's fine. It's a, it's a bonus question. So, like, like, like a serious one. Like, like, legitimately, we love to put it out. I think mine, mine recently definitely would be Psychic Possession, which is a. For, did, did I mention that? No, I did not. It's a four-mana enchantment that enchants a player, and whenever they draw a card, you draw a card. And oh, yeah. It, it's, it doesn't see a lot of EDH play. It's from the original Ravnica block, and whenever I play it on somebody who hasn't seen it before, which is almost all the time, if unless they've seen it from me playing it, they have to read it like two or three times to figure out what's going on, and then they tend to look down at their hand and then look back at the card and it's never not hilarious as they like realize, wait a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm holding like, like the first time I ever cast it, the dude did that and then showed me his hand and he had like a brainstorm and a faith was looting and something else. <laughs> it, 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 it never fails to generate those kind of plays because yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, genuinely a decent card to play, but the person you put it on almost always has that good reaction where they're like, oh, really? <laughs> oh, cause they can feel their own cards kind of being turned against them, but not in a way that takes something away from them. So uh, the card just always generates pretty good reaction, both because it's weird and old and because of what it does. That's awesome. I think for one of my personal favorites, it's probably going to have to go to Disrupt Decorum. That's the two red, red sorcery goad all creatures you don't control. And then you just get to comfortably sit back and watch your opponents tear each other apart without really having any control over it. I mean, that encourages tons of interaction, just not with me, with each other. So then you get to watch people get really angry. It was like, why are you attacking me? No, you should attack the other person. And they just can't hit you because they were goaded. And it's just really, really awesome because then you just get to watch your puppets dance. <laughs> All right. So Benny, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, it's it's hard for me because I, I get excited about so many different cards. Um, but I guess... Uh, one card that I just love putting in decks and always um, does good things for me is Mirror Pool. Just uh, being able to copy a creature or a spell like at an opportune time just like never fails to just make me happy. Um, I actually played it in Standard while it was around. I had a I had a deck that ran Uvenwald Hydras so I could fetch up Mirror Pools and then use the Mirror Pools to copy the Hydra to get more Mirror Pools. <laughs> so th those kind of shenanigans <laughs> go well in, in commander style too. And actually I was, I was just thinking of uh, 
when I mentioned Gavin was playing my Grithoma deck, um, I have a uh, um, Stuffy Doll in that deck. And uh, Gavin actually copied Stuffy Doll with, uh, with Mirror Pool and then was attacking with two Stuffy Dolls um, with, you know, basically fighting Grithoma. That's genius. That's such a cool interaction. Oh, the stuffy doll is that's a clutch pick for that deck. Nice choice. Yeah, so he had he had two different opponents that were getting hit in the face for ten, you know, each time the stuffy dolls attacked. It was pretty it was pretty gross. I super love that. Matt, what about you? Sugar card? I mean, it it's cliche to say Rishkar's expertise at this point. So <laughs> fair enough. I th- I think one of the most fun cards actually that it was actually pretty high on the salt scale. Um, Humility is a card because I play just Stop. a ton of creatures in, in every deck. No. So Humility for me, just special place. Wow. Okay. Humility, humility I, is I, a great card, but that's absolutely one where I sometimes look at the board. Like, I don't see it that much, but when I see it, I look at the board state and go, yeah, no, I'm just going to scoop because I don't want to think this much. It's 1130 at night and the yeah, caffeine's for, worn off and I just can't. Yeah, sometimes it just reads four mana, win the game. Yeah, well, that's yeah, fine. For it's sure. fine with me. Oh, you're the worst. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's yes. move out of that subject and into our final segment, Challenge the Stats. We're going to look at the data on EDHREC and maybe challenge it a little bit. Look at card that we think is maybe seeing too much play or maybe too little play. Dana, do you mind starting us off? I certainly can. I'm going to mention a creature originally appeared in Cold Snap. It's in just over 2,000 decks on EDH Rec. It's Oran Viper. It's green, green, and a colorless for a uh, creature for a snow creature snake. <laughs> so you can actually utilize things that care about snow. Like the thought is it thawing glade? No. What's the uh, what's the land there where you reveal snow permanent off the top? Glacial uh, chasm? No, no, that's not. Not, it. not chasm. Um, not it's a very glacier. obscure card, is the point. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I've just brain farted on it. But anyway, you can technically use it for that. But the reason it's actually a pretty good card, whenever it deals combat damage to a creature, destroy that creature at the end of combat. So it basically has death touch on a 1 3. But whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. So, particularly early game, but plenty of times even later in the game, people don't always have chump blockers or don't have things they want to lose and they're they're just not willing to trade one damage for losing that big beater they have out so they'll just take the one and let you draw a card it it i, I never ever regret having it in hand in my glissa deck that's where i run it and i mean i can't think of the last time i played it and it didn't draw me at least one or two cards before a board wipe eventually killed it i think it's a really really useful card and it's only in 2000 decks only 2,000. Wow. I would have expected it to be more. I'm not as in love with Oren Viper as you are, but I do think 2,000 is low. I really like that card. I played with it in Standard. Um, I think the biggest problem that that card has is that it's three mana, and it's green. Three is a, three good, is amount. a good amount, yes. And, and there's so many good three mana cards in Commander. Like, you know, like, I, I, I don't know how many times I've put Oren Viper into my stack of of cards that I'm that I'm sort of building from and then inevitably it gets set to the side and it makes me sad because it is such a cool card. And it occasionally keeps my Ophiomancer from making me death touch. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. 
Alrighty, I'm gonna go on to mine next. Mine is seeing even less play than Dana's pick. That's the card Wake the Dead. So this is an X black black instant. You can cast Wake the Dead only during combat on an opponent's turn. And it says that you return X target creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield, and then you sacrifice those creatures at the beginning of the next end step. This currently only shows up in 1700 decks, which strikes me as very low considering that it came from the original Commander for, uh, 2014 product. I didn't know whether I was going to take a chance on this card when I was building Tesa Karlov who doubles death triggers, but I did put it into my Tesa Karlov who doubles death triggers deck. And when I drew it, it was the most exciting thing that I ever could have possibly drawn because I had like four creatures in my graveyard. And then during combat on an opponent's turn, he, he wasn't even attacking at all, but I could still cast it when he was passing through his combat phase. I revived just a bunch of creatures from the graveyard like a reliquary monk and i ended up getting two death triggers off of that to destroy two artifacts or enchantments i got uh, grave titan back which gave me a bunch of zombies i was able to get i think it was massacre worm as well so i just got enter the battlefield effects and since i had tasa out all of those things were doing double duty on death triggers i was able to get i think an archon of justice as well so i could exile two permanents and that probably sounds like a magical christmas land scenario but tasa loves killing her own stuff she loves getting death triggers so i think wake the dead definitely deserves to see play if you're running specifically a tasa deck but also if you just like graveyard stuff this is a surprisingly cool instant that can give you a bunch of either enters the battlefield effects or especially in tasa leaves the battlefield effects and it would double all those with tasa super super clutch i was able to bring an opponent from 30 life to like zero in one turn using wake the dead and uh i'm really happy about that so i think that more people should give that card a shot yeah the fact that an instant speed is a big deal like it's you would assume that was going to be a sorcery speed effect but the fact that it's instant adds so many variables i can see why traditional reanimator decks are maybe less keen on it because usually reanimator wants to keep the creatures in play after it revives them but when you're looking for death triggers like tesa is then i think it's pretty clutch that is a great choice i like that all right benny how about you what's your challenge all right so um to the surprise of, of probably no one i I am horrified to see that Temple of the False God is being played <laughs> uh, in or is showing up in 103,000 decks. That's a lot of on decks. EDH Rec. That that is just that is just insane. This land was originally plant, printed in Scourge, and it and unfortunately, you know, it should have just stayed there. But then they started printing it in in each of the Commander products, and so they kept. I guess people kept putting them in their Commander decks and. It's just, it's just, uh, it's such an inconsistent land. It it gives you it gives you extra mana when you really don't need the extra mana. Yeah, only when you have five lands does it tap for two, but otherwise it does stow nothing. Right? Like you want? I mean, I have uh, stopped playing this card years ago and have never felt sad about it. And uh, I I try to to preach the. The gospel of just replacing it with a basic land and and you'll be happy and man i we were looking through some of our previous challenge the stat picks and we talked about temple of the false god before on our old segment head to head but we'd never actually officially challenged it so i'm glad that you're here to you know keep us in check yeah well i mean i guess people look at it and they think hey it's gonna it's gonna tap for two mana or hey i'll just use it in a, as a uh, you know, as a ramp spell that can't be countered. And, you know, I can see why that would sound good, but 
you know, you just don't want to draw that card as one of your early land drops because then you're just floundering, you know. So, I mean, even though the upside is nice, you know, from going, you know, going from five to six lands or five to six mana, you know, on turn five, it, it sounds good. But uh, is really having five mana that that much worse than having six mana uh, at that point? You know, like the upside, I don't think is so good that it warrants the downside of playing a card like that. Yeah, that is a deck building risk for sure. Well, I think that's a good point that you mentioned it being the precons too, because speaking as a kind of novice EDH player at the time when the was it, was it the twenty fourteen precons came out, I think you know I've been playing for a year or two at that point in time, but. I, I didn't think Temple of the False God was a good card, and I was not running it. And then, and then that batch of precons came out that all had Temple of the False God, and I remember actually being like, "Oh, okay, well maybe it is a good card." And I was just evaluating it wrong, so I put it in a bunch of decks. Like I, I think that's a legitimate thing by jamming it in all those precons. I think it has, it, it does kind of screw with people a little bit, and it changes how how good they think it is because they're just they just assume, "Oh, it's one of those cards you run," and they run it. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that the card has probably been pulled well with wizards is is why they're putting it in they they put it in their precon decks, I, I guess. I'm not entirely sure, but And maybe the thought process maybe the process the thought process is too, well that's a natural upgrade at some point when you get to be a you know more advanced player, you'll swap that out with Ancient Tomb or something. So maybe that's the thought process. Hmm. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Yeah, and commander games do tend to run longer, so it's a safe bet that a card like that will almost always provide you the two mana. But you're right, it being an early land can definitely screw you over. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, the the early games uh, in commander can be kind of clutch. You know, especially if somebody has, has played a soul ring, you know, and if you're stalling out on land because your fourth land is a temple of the false god, then that that person that got the soul ring jump is just so much farther ahead than you yeah i think i agree with your assessment that i'd rather have some form of ramp spell in that slot that makes a lot of sense to me Alrighty, matt we're going to finish up with your challenge of stats so with war of the spark coming out here soon i'm sure there's going to be a lot of super friends decks roaming the place tables and i was recently well not so recently but Joey may have called me out on a, a couple statements about a card. So I just want to make sure people know that Ghostly Prison and Propaganda mm. currently show up in 15% plus of all Super Friends decks and do not expect them to save your Planeswalkers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a little friendly reminder that it reads creatures can't attack you unless their controller pays the two mana. Not Planeswalkers you control, but you personally. So... If you're looking for some way to discourage people from attacking your Planeswalkers, don't count on those two cards. Yeah, something like a Sphere of Safety, that one does specifically mention Planeswalkers, but also you can run just really good defenders like a Fog Bank or a Guard Gomazoa in those slots instead, because those will definitely keep your Planeswalkers alive. But yeah, that's a really good thing to note. Ghostly Prison and Propaganda are not going to help all those new walkers from War of the Spark. No, not at all. They're like I said, they're showing up in seventeen and fifteen percent uh, of all Super Friends style decks. That's fine and all, but just make sure you're aware and be a little more intentional, like we always talk about. Of is this going to save my Planeswalkers? No, it is not. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and you know, people are like, 
you know, okay, I guess I'll attack your planeswalkers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, this was really cool. Benny, thanks so much for coming on to the show. We really appreciate having you. Oh, thanks a lot. I had a great time. Hope, hope we can do it again. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave off on about fun in Commander or maybe even salty cards or sugary cards before we head out? Just, uh, you know, have some fun playing Commander, you know, uh, play... play a little less uh, reactive cards and play a little bit more proactive cards and um, smash your proactive plan against other people's proactive plan and see what happens. Yeah, I love it. And on that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana? You can find me on Twitterbirds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me twice a week now, apparently, on the other podcast, CMDR Centro. And Benny, where can our listeners find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Blair Witch Green, and I you can find me at StarCityGames.com every week, pretty much uh, every week, weekend and week out. Awesome. Yeah, you can check out the saltiest cards on EDH Rec now with all of those awesome votes to figure out what are the most salt-inducing cards, and you can go find Benny on Star City Games. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenneth Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDH Rec and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com, or you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. This cast is posted every week on our community content spotlight section where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and feather. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>